52 yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, yo, welcome in golf fans to another episode of the Preferred Lines podcast. It is Masters Week. It's our Super Bowl. The Idoni house is battling a stomach virus. I'm dealing with internet issues. Nothing stops this wagon from cruising right down Magnolia Lane this week. Um, I'm excited to have you all in at Tour Picks on Twitter. My name is Joe Idoni. Welcome to the podcast. If you're a friend of old, um, you know the deal. Hop over to the YouTube channel. Drop me a comment. Let me know you're in there. I love to see the people that support this show each and every week, and I'll give you a little shout out. Um, anyone who's new, please do so. Um, YouTube slash preferred lines, hop in there. You can ask questions just like my guy, Brent here. He's got a whiskey in hand, Brent. I wish I could do the same. I've got a Gatorade. I've got to get electrolytes in. Um, we will persevere my man. Uh, but I appreciate all you guys checking out the show as always like subscribe, retweet, tell a friend, all that good stuff. Fantasy golf pod. Those are my boys. First look show is already out. Um, they will be having more great content more later this week at fantasy golf pod on twitter okay here's what we have in store tonight as we cruise into augusta national uh pga tout my boy john is back on the show one of my absolute favorite people to have on a ton of fun looking forward to having him talk through a course preview we'll ask him a couple questions about the state of the professional golf world and then we're going to talk our favorite bets for the Masters. Happy to do a little Q&A segment. Um, if you have any questions uh, at all for myself or John, feel free to drop those in. We will do our absolute best to answer each and every one of them. Final thoughts will take place for the 2023 Masters. Um, but without further waiting, um, it is my absolute pleasure to bring back into Preferred Lines the original, like the OG course preview Man of the internet, uh, longtime friend of the program, the one and only at PGA Tout. Welcome back, John Hasselbauer. What's good? Oh, let's go. It is flu game week. It's stomach bug week. I don't know if narratives make you play Jordan Spieth for the Jordan game. Are you going John Rom for the stomach bug narrative? Oh, there's so many narratives to get through. I'm so happy to be here, Joe. I was telling you before the show, I listen to the show every week. It's my most anticipated uh podcast to listen to or show to listen to every week and it is the best week of, of the year um and it's been a murderer's row of guests on your show this year so i'm flattered to be here on the best week of the year let's be honest this is it thank you so you mentioned it before we went hot so last major season i tried something new i, I tried the whole major report thing you were a guest on there i had like 15 guests I thought it was great. It was a ton of work. But what I really noticed in that is I had so little time with each guest that I really couldn't get into the conversations, one, that I wanted to have. Two, I felt like there was no room in there for like my narratives and what I kind of wanted to say to the show because I was so busy interviewing all these other guests. Um, and when it came to this week, I, I put a lot of thought into it and thought, you know what, let me just bring on someone that I have a really easygoing conversation with, someone that is extremely helpful to the people in the audience of this show and you were the very first person that came to my mind so i'm thrilled that you're here well i'm flattered um i, I know we'll get through the board 
Um, yeah. it, you know, usually Masters Week, actually, I feel like we say, well, it's the same old, so what else could we say? Not this year. I mean, the live stuff changes everything. The rain is going to make this course play incredibly different. Um, and, you know, it's it's uh, just a different dynamic in general, I feel like. They extended yeah. the tee box on, on 13 as well. So there's a lot of things this year that I think are you need to dive a little bit deeper than we usually have at the Masters. Okay, so we're Monday. Uh, we have about three days left before this thing starts. What are you going to be paying attention to most as the week progresses? You mentioned the weather. Is it tea time waves? Is it weather? Is it? Are you paying close attention to the interviews when trying to sort of figure out who you think is going to have a good week? Um, what's the rest of your week going to look like after this show? Yeah, I think interviews are crucial because there's a lot of unknown with that 13th hole specifically. Um, the weather's not at its worst yet, so it's kind of hard to pull anything out of the interviews from that standpoint. But even listening today, uh, just Dustin Johnson's interview, he was like, uh, I, I can't get to 13 and two anymore. Which and that had me thinking, say that, right. But that had me thinking if you don't play a stock draw, maybe you're just not comfortable hitting driver anymore on that hole. And maybe there's an advantage to these stock draw guys where like maybe it's reachable in two for like Patrick Reed, but it's not for Dustin Johnson because he wants to hit a three win. So all these kind of things are kind of like, this is going to be more DFS uh, related of, of these takeaways that we get over the course of the week. Uh, wave advantage is difficult because we could have a player situation where, or like last year where it looks like you had a wave advantage and then there's a stoppage of play and nothing matters anymore. So I don't think I'm going to read too much into that, but just in general, I want to see like, is this course getting flooded? Is the sub air going to like combat it to the point where it drains immaculately? Like, no course is better equipped to handle the amount of rain that they're about to get than Augusta National, but it's still just nonstop rain for it looks like four days. Yeah. Um, so I'm really curious to see what the state of that course is because it could flip a narrative of only the bombers are going to, you know, be, be primed to, to gain on the field this week. Yeah, so you mentioned the redesign on number 13. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, they, the Augusta National Golf Club purchased some additional property behind the 13th tee um, this past offseason. They've moved that tee back substantially. Now it is an extremely narrow gap to sort of fit the tee shot through. It's intimidating as hell for an amateur like me just to look at that picture compared to what it used to be. Um, but I think this is in an effort similar to what we're seeing across the golf world in terms of um, we're looking to combat this idea of guys being able to overpower traditional golf courses. We saw a similar thing happen last year with the 15th hole, another one of the closing par fives, which I think drastically changed how that hole played. I don't believe we saw a single eagle on number 15 all last year. In my opinion, we actually, it kind of brought the... Um, spectrum of potential scores in a little bit. Players were still making birdie, but it eliminated some of those eagle opportunities, but it also sort of, in a way, eliminated some of the double bogeys that we see on that hole. We didn't see as much of that either. Or do you see a similar effect happening this year with the changes to 13 as well? I I think it actually will be a little different because I feel like the, the creek in front is more in play. Like, you're going to have to hit a longer iron where a slight miss hit and you're finding that hazard where mm -hmm. it was getting to a point where it was more like wedges or short irons and it, yeah. it wasn't really a factor and it was to your, it was like am i going to get an easy eagle out of this 
really the most difficult part of that hole was not putting it in the pine straw on your first shot. And if you were in the fairway in any shape or form, you had a basically an auto birdie. So I kind of like that. It, it forces you to have two good shots, uh, which is what you want to see in any par five in a major, I think. Yeah. See what I think could end up happening like 15, basically everyone laid up last year, right? Which brought the water and the downslope behind the green. It kind of eliminated that in a way because now players were coming in from like a hundred yards. Nobody's going to really fly that green from 80 to a hundred yards versus players previously were hitting five iron. A lot of times would catch a heater. The green was firm. It bounced over the back and we'd see it run into that water. And then it's an absolute devilish up and down from there. Kind of 13 as well, it brings that into mind for me because even the guys who would come in with longer irons, we saw like behind 13 is dead. If you miss that bunker and you're in those sort of shrubs and azalea bushes, um, you're probably not finding the ball. You're probably re-hitting from the same spot. If you do find it, good luck even making bogey. Now I just feel like people are going to end up laying up in front of Ray's Creek there and have a little like nippy pitch in from maybe 50 or 60 yards and just try to get up and down for birdie. So I, I kind of worry that what they thought they were doing may not actually play out the first or uh, the first couple of years as guys kind of make these adjustments and just end up laying up and it kind of brings some of the drama out of the hole and out of the closing stretch of Augusta, which is the most exciting that we see all year, basically from the 12th hole on you lose a little bit of the juice in those two par fives could hurt. Yeah. I mean, the hope is that it doesn't create this like one dimensional player who if the guys who hit at the farthest are the only ones who can score on the par fives. Now um, it seems like at least for 13, that won't be an issue because the longest hitters are saying, I'm just going to lay up because I, you know, I can't comfortably hit my driver on that hole anymore because of the angles. So the angle piece of it, I, I think adds an interesting layer to it. You're right. I, I didn't really love what happened to 15 last year after, after that adjustment, Changes have been made. That's just how that that course is going to play um, going forward. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, and I think it, it's an interesting point on course history in general as they continue to tinker around with this course. Does it open up like guys who haven't had success here yet? Are these things that could flip it around and all of, all of a sudden become an opportunity for new guys to contend? Yeah, I wanted to ask you as well, because I mentioned uh, sort of when I brought you on, they, I, I think that you still have the best course previews of anyone out there on Twitter. They're completely free. They're out early. It's like the place that I start. And when I draw my notes here, I often I often steal some of your tabs and some of your notes. But a lot of the trends that we see this week, John, like you had some of them. There are so many good ones out there to read on all these masters trends that have taken place over the year. From an outright betting perspective, do you put much stock into that here? Like, are you okay? 11 of the last 12 winners have had a T38 the year before, whatever it is. Um, are these all trends that are at some point meant to be broken by Cameron Young? Or are these just things that, uh, that that you actually have to factor in when you're developing a card and you're crossing guys off who can't win this week? Are you looking into those? Uh, I pick and choose. I think I really <laughs> like the, the trends on courses that we've never seen before. So like if I have nothing to go off of, then I'll go to like a, a Dave Tyndall or like a... Uh, Steve Bamford, even all those guys over the pond do great trend articles every year. And I'm awesome. like, okay, I've never seen anybody play this course, but in open championships in general, this is important. So I'll, I'll follow that. 
at at the Masters, I kind of know like the strokes gain. It, I, there's not strokes gain there, but I know the type of profile that you need that would make sense: distance and and crafty touch around the greens and being able to putt on super fast um, greens. Although that may be less of a factor if it's if it's soft this year. Um, so I don't, if, if a guy doesn't check one of the boxes for trends, it's not going to, I'm not going to write them off, but something from Augusta that's always proven to be, you know, un, unflappable from a trend standpoint is like, show me a top 10 there. Show me that you were in the mix once before, um, get in contention once you don't seal the deal, but you're like much more apt to contend after you've experienced what it's like to go on that back nine, sort of in the hunt at Augusta. Yeah, the ultimate nuanced golf course. Data Golf, of course, has it as the number one uh, projected course history spot on the PGA Tour by a wide margin year after year. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the added element. As if the Masters wasn't exciting enough, we have finally the merger of the two predominant golf tours in the world coming together this week. Uh, we have 18 players from the Live Golf Tour set to compete uh, along the world's best at the Masters. What's your, where are you at with them? What Are you concerned with their preparedness coming into this event, only playing, uh, you know, 54-hole golf tournaments three times basically this year? Um, where's your level of concern at with the Cams, the DJs, the Brooks, the Reeds, the Brysons coming into this week? Are you rating them lower because they play for live? Yeah, I think people might be surprised with, with my answer to this, but I'm really like I have pretty high expectations for the live guys. I expect there to be a live guy in the hunt come Sunday. And I think the, just the, the, the stats, the, the data, if you're looking at it, there's 18 live players. There's about 58 total non senior or amateurs. So 25% of the field is live one in every four guys. You're telling me one of those guys isn't going to be top five on Sunday going down the stretch. Um, a lot of them are not in great form, but I would say at least half of the live guys are qualified for the majors because they've played well in the majors uh, and specifically at, at Augusta. Uh, and you look at a guy like Charles Schwartzel last year, it came from absolutely nowhere, but is a, a past champion who has at one point known how to navigate the grounds. You know, he might be 250 to one. This, I don't even, I don't even know what his, his odds are, uh, but he was in the hunt going into the weekend last year. I don't remember if he was like the co-leader or if he was, he was up there, but it was kind of like, where did this guy come from? And that always happens at, at the Masters. So I think the prevailing narrative is like, if it's not Cam Smith or Dustin Johnson, none of these lift guys have a shot. Um, and I just don't agree with that. Like if if Jason Kokrak came out in top 10 this week, I wouldn't bat an eye. He was T14 here last year. I think there mm -hmm. were seven or eight uh, live guys in the top 14 last year who were in this in the field this year. So um, yes, the, the recent form is a little difficult to judge. Um, if you're playing poorly on the live tour, I think that's concerning because there's just not a lot of competition, um, both in volume and just quality of field compared to the BGA tour. Um, but like a Brooks, for example, he won last year. Okay. Like that's a, that's a positive sign. I don't think we can dismiss that. Yeah. The, so I think many would consider me as one of like the sort of pro live guys because i've had some takes on it although i don't think that that's necessarily true i've been very critical of them but i vehemently disagree with the narrative that these are exhibition tournaments i've been to one um i've talked to caddies i interviewed benji thompson who's abe answers caddy 
last week, who's actually from Augusta. And when you talk to these guys, they are take they they take this tour very seriously, equally serious. They are Abe's caddy told me like no bullshit. He's practicing more now than he did on the PGA tour. And some of it makes sense. You get caught up in this grind of traveling stop to stop. And when you get a week off, finally, you just want a week off. Um, I think a lot of these guys are still very committed, very motivated, very understanding of the opportunity that they're able to play in major championships this year. And we don't know how much longer that's going to last for them. Brooks for ex- is a great example. Um, if Brooks falls out of the top 50, he may not get a master's invite anymore. And he's not earning OWGR points for his victory at live Orlando last week. You know what I mean? So these things are all on their minds. I think that they're coming into this event with um, the added motivation of, we have to not only show these other players, but show the world that, um, we still very much care about golf. Like we didn't just take this money and are going to rest on our laurels and on a bag of money. Um, these guys are still competing and it will be interesting to see how the narrative plays out. Um, whether it's going to be true or not, these guys can still compete with the best in the world. And I happen to believe they can. Yeah. I would say too, of the four majors, this is the live guys best opportunity to pull out a win. Uh, or at least be in contention just because course history is so important. And there's so many examples of live guys who are past champions. You know, you've got Patrick Reed, Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith's not a past champion, but he's always up there. Um, uh, Louis is not a past champion either, but Louis always plays well here. Schwartzel, we mentioned before, Bubba Watson. I don't think he's going to contend, but he's a past champion. So you never know. Um, So a lot of those guys are, are, you know, that's why they were chosen to go to live because they have a major on their resume and, a lot of them, it was here. All right, before we kick it to the betting board this week, you got any futures you're carrying into this week? Any old bets uh, on any any decent numbers? Uh, I actually don't. My only majors futures I placed um, this year were on Homa at 50 to 1 at the US Open and PGA. I didn't mm-hmm. place him here because he's one of those guys that I want to see a top 10 first. So I cut myself off from putting the future on him here. Um, but yeah, I stay patient. I wait until... Uh, basically like Sunday and today and finished up the card this morning. So I I don't know. What about you? Um, Anxious to hear who you got. I have one good number in terms of value, one probably bad. So I have Adam Scott 100 to 1 from January, and I have Brooks at 99 to 1 from um, about six weeks ago. Um, It looks like a great bet now. It's not going to hit. He's not going to win back to back. I understand. I luckily I had the 40 to one last week, so I protected my bet a little bit. But the number was just outrageous at 99 to one. I put out the tweet like when I said it and I was like, do uh, at 99 to one. Do we do do you people really believe Brooks has less than a one percent chance of winning the Masters in two months? Um, and go back and look at that tweet, read some of the replies that I got on that. <laughs> everyone was so everybody, he has no shot and now he's 33 to one and, and everyone wants a piece of it. Um, it's still, look, he's, he's probably the third best player on that tour, right? It's cam it's DJ it's Brooks. He's won two of the last five events that they've had. Um, he can come here and win in his last couple of masters. One, he was in terrible form last year and the one before he could barely walk people. Like I know, because I know people that are close to him. He slipped by the poolside. He, he, he 
fucked his knee up so bad. I could not believe I was telling people I was talking to Feinberg. I'm like, I won't put this out there on Twitter, but Brooks is out six months. Like he's going to have surgery. He's not going to be back. He chose not to have the surgery right away. Tried to gut through that masters and couldn't even bend down. Um, It was a joke. But before that, he had some good finishes. He almost made a run in that Tiger year. I, I don't think this is the best course setup for him and for his game. But that said, um, the dude was getting through the ball last week like I haven't seen in a long time on that left knee. And he looked damn good, dude. I I have not been watching Liv, but is he still doing the the like fully extended leg uh, get down on one knee nope. to read the putts? Okay, not at that's, all. That's nope. a huge turnaround, turning the corner. And more so for me, it was it's the driver swing. Like he's back to swinging hard as fuck at the ball and just not scared of like putting all his weight on that left side. And I I, I was tweeting or I talking a little bit with um, Travis Fulton and I'm like, I know nothing about swing mechanics, but I can my eyes tell me like this guy is swinging it really well and kind of how he used to. He says he's healthy. Um, he's said that before. So I don't know whether to believe that or not, but um but but looks good in in the in like the three quarter wedge range is were were on point from like 85 to 125 yards dude he hit a there was a par three that was 209 a little bit downwind he hit nine iron over the pin john oh my god and then eight iron into a par five from 230 okay so he is he's crushing the ball he may be back um, All right, enough about Brooks. Everyone wants to get on him. Get on him if you don't want to. Uh, I'm already there. Let's get to the betting board this week. Talk to the rest of the guys. Here we go. Oddschecker.com for your Masters 2023 outright winning odds. Scotty Scheffler, your defending champion, is 7-1. to one. Rory McElroy going for the career Grand Slam in good form as well off the match play. Found something there, plus 750. John Rahm, plus 950. Spieth's 18 to 1. Cantlay's 20 to 1. Let's just really talk about the big three, John. I want you to choose one and tell me if you bet any of them. Um, I did not bet any of them. And I think the first thing that I said uh, to you when we were starting earlier in the week was, I think I'm going to do a single bullet. And I really thought about it, but ultimately two things. One, it's a major. And if I bet one of these guys, that's my only bet. And it's not fun. I want exposure to a few guys. I want to, I want to put myself in the best position to have a sweat on Sunday. Uh, and two, the weather scared me off. There's going to be volatility here. If we were in super fair, all things being equal conditions, I think these guys would be 10 times more likely uh, to ship this, but you just don't know if there's going to be a good or a bad wave. Um, hand slips on a club or something. I don't know. So um, from that perspective, I I faded, but in DFS, I'll obviously be all over all these guys. I, I can't really think of a reason to fade. I think John Rahm will be the least owned of the three on DraftKings just because he's priced above Rory McIlroy and his odds are clearly the lowest. Uh, Rory is someone I bet last year. So I got the, I got the second place, which uh, is worth nothing. Um, and so I don't think I can go back to him two years in a row. I do think Scotty is clearly the uh, in the best spot to win of these three. He has the least question marks to him. Obviously, you know, surprisingly, actually, the only one of the three 
who's one at Augusta. So if I had to pick one, I would still go with the chalk and Scotty. Okay. So I bet one of them, I rate them all very close. Um, splitting hairs between the three of them. I think that Scotty has the best opportunity, although part of me is a little worrying that there's like so much recency in that, um, in just what we've seen, like his last two events that maybe we're overlooking someone and the one that we're overlooking. And there's actually, there's plus nine fifty there. There are 11 to ones out there. There's a popular offshore book, uh, that starts with the B and ends in online where there's an 11 to one still out there right now, which I took. I just tried to verify, so I made sure I wasn't giving out false numbers here. It's the Brahma Bull, John Rahm, eleven to one for me. Um, the guys won. We like. We, I talk about Scotty's recency. Rahm's won five of the last twelve professional golf tournaments that he stuck a tee in the dirt. He's winning at a forty percent clip over his last twelve. He's finished ninth or better in four of his last five Masters. Current form there. Masters form there. Um, he's number one in my my stat model that I ran, and and if it had margins on it, I'm sure it wouldn't be slim. Uh, he's a top three player in the entire field in the following stat categories categories that I'm leaning heavily on this week. Strokes gain total at Augusta over the last six years, top three. Strokes gain total on all golf courses in the last 50 rounds played, top three. Par five scoring. I think it was Ron from PJ Splits that had the the tweet today that 72 percent of all scoring at Augusta National is accounted for on the par fives. That may be true on a lot of golf courses, but that feels like a heavy percentage. He does it. Uh, Birdie or better on difficult golf courses, over 7,400 yards. He's top three. Proximity to the pin from 200 plus. He's top three. He's also fifth in putting on lightning fast bent grass greens. Come on now. Let's not forget about John Rahm. Look, if if Scotty's implied odds there at seven to one is like, saying he has a 13 percent chance to win i feel like rom's close to that at 11 to 1 that's asking him to win like eight percent of the time um i like rom i'll take the benefit in terms of ownership and some fantasy formats i'll take the benefit and a couple of additional numbers on the odds board he's my big bet this week i'm going rom full method on the stomach virus just yes went, just just channeling it maybe even subconsciously that is what caused the stomach virus it could be, you know, maybe I was just feeling it. He passed it down from the players. If he didn't withdraw, that's five wins out of the last 11 tournaments there. So, uh, look, he's playing great. I don't want to discount him for like a match play loss to Ricky too much. Um, that's a weird tournament. The players is a weird tournament. He withdrew. But before that, no one was. It felt like he was going to win everything, man. He was going into those like elevated events at like five to one. Um, so he's over, he's north, he's into double digits on a lot of books. Uh, I'll take it. Yeah, you can actually, I mean, if depending on how much you're putting on these, you can get up to 12 on DraftKings because they have that plus 300 boost. Um, so I, I would endorse that bet too if I didn't uh, already, you know, have my stakes in other places. The thing that I got hung up on this week is like any other week of the year, if you're betting somebody at single digits, you have got the favorite. You have got the guy who is supposed to win and you're hedging your bets on that guy. Now you got two other guys you got to worry about no matter who you pick in the big three. Uh, so that's probably like a fallacy of my my gambling strategy, but no. I, hard for me to like eat that number and also not have the favorite still. Uh, not even with Rob. Like even if I were to do it with, with Scotty, I would be like, this is not a full conviction bet because I am nervous about Rory and Rom. So it's, it's a yeah. nervous part of the board for sure. And it's so different 
from last year. I was looking at the just what what did the board look like last year? Eleven guys were under twenty to one. Yes, uh, at last year and this year you can get anyone except these three at over twenty to one. So really interesting how it flipped. Yeah, there's one guy sitting there sub. You may be able to find him at over twenty to one on some, but our guy Ted is asking for a take this week. Thoughts on Jordan Spieth? Uh, I mean, the value is not there at this price, unfortunately. If you got a future, which I'm sure you could have gotten a, a really good number, um, if you placed a few a few months ago before the Valspar, maybe. Um, you know, if I'm paying eighteen to one, I want to see a win within the last year. You know, it's been mm-hmm. since the RBC Heritage, right? Um, and we see what he did at Valspar under pressure, you know, going down the line. So that's just going to be a nervy sweat for me at this price. Um, but what can you say about his history at, at the Masters? So curious what his ownership becomes in DraftKings. But if, if for any reason he's priced too high and people overlook him, he's kind of one of those like safety valve uh, plug and plays in the Masters. Last guy, like 20 to 1, Patrick Cantlay. Thoughts there? I have no interest in going to him. I'd rather go to some of those guys below him at additional points. Um, although I can see the flip side, like he's number one in par five scoring. He's number one in short game, number one in putting on fast bent grass greens. There are some places that he's struggled. He struggled in a lot of major championships. He struggles in difficult scoring conditions. Now, if we get a really soft golf, golf, excuse me, soft golf course that plays easier than normal, I think that he could make a run. He, of course, made a run in that Tiger year as well late. Um, I'm just not there with Patrick. How do you feel? I I can give my Cantlay case in the same way you did for Rom because that's kind of he's the guy I decided to go in on and start my my card with and my preview article. He was the guy Tell I me. spent a lot of time, um, you know, essentially like addressing all of the reasons why people would not want to back Patrick Cantlay in a major because that's his reputation and why it might be different. Um, I think in general we've never seen him have any success in the Southeast. The Florida swing he usually skips all of it. The players he plays almost like obligatory uh, because it's the players, but he's never had any success. Uh, just had his best result of his career at the players. He finished top 20 there. He's always skipped the API. He played it for the first time. He finished top three. Um, and so these are very encouraging signs going into the masters where he's never had success that he has these indicators beforehand. Um, he's played well in other like high intensity events. So the FedEx cup champ playoffs, He's won the BMW the last two years. I I don't think Wilmington Country Club is the worst comp in terms of what you need to do, elevation change, bent grass, not as much of a challenge, obviously, but a lot of overlap, overlapping characteristics between those courses. Um, and obviously won the Tour Championship, plays great in the Ryder Cup, in the President's Cup. Um, Patty Ice is his nickname. He should be unflappable in these major situations. I uh, just listened to the no laying up interview. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to I that haven't. one, but he gave some really insightful answers about like what his approach is to Augusta. And he basically said with all of these changes that they've been making, extending the T boxes and everything shot shaping is not really that important at Augusta. The more that they lengthen out the course, because you just have to hit driver on every hole. And he thinks that that plays into his advantage because he's now a top 10 driving distance guy, which I don't think has really been the case over the course of his career. So that's kind of new. And he doesn't really shot shape the ball. He's kind of just peeling it out there. Um, so maybe that's, that's something that plays into his hand when we talk about things that have changed with the course. 
that could potentially benefit him. Um, and, and you just look at his game and you compare where he's at compared to the big three. I think he's the next guy. I think he's number four. Uh, I would put him ahead of Jordan Spieth as far as just like my expectations this week. Um, and, and like ball striking, it's there. Putting hasn't quite been there recently, but we've seen him, you know, nothing's materially changed with, with Patrick Cantlay since he was like one of the best putters on tour the year he won the tour championship. Um, so all the pieces are there. I think he just has to put it all together. And if he is in the mix at a major, I trust that he's the type of guy that's not going to collapse under pressure. I agree with you there. Um, he's stone cold. He's got a lot of good. I, I just wonder, I feel like it's going to play difficult. Um, I feel like the cooler temperatures, I feel like the lengthening of the, the golf course, I do feel like with the changes made to 11, 13, 15 over the past couple of years, about make the course play about a stroke harder, I feel like is going to this week with the, between the conditions and those things. And I just look at his track record in terms of the events that he's won in his career. And they're really courses that um, you're going for birdie a lot. So I don't know that this is necessarily that, but you made a lot of compelling points there in this 20 to one range. I'm going to bring it back up here. Um, a lot of good names here. I mean, Justin Thomas is 22 to one. We have our first live golf golfer in Cameron Smith at 24, 25, more cow 25 female, 25 Xander, 25, um, DJ 29 day 29 anyone like who's your favorite guy in in this sort of uh, meat and potatoes range um let I would say my favorite guy in this range is Tony Fino um and Tony Fino is a guy that I've bet a lot in the past at the masters and it's always been this reluctant like this bet's dead on arrival what am I doing why am I kidding myself um because a lot of his finishes are a little bit backdoor he's not somebody who like has been in the final pairing on Sunday at Augusta, yet he's always at the top 10 here. Um, but in the last year, since the last Masters, he's picked up three wins, probably had a little bit of a confidence boost, I would imagine, since then. Uh, and what I think is encouraging about Tony is in 2023, the, he hasn't really contended either. He's strung together high finishes. He's excelling in like three out of four strokes gain categories each tournament and it's a different category that he has not fully pieced it together. That tells me he has the potential to gain three or four strokes off the tee approach around the green putting all at once. He just hasn't done it yet. And that seems to be that sort of trend that I'm looking for of guys who are in a nice buy low spot or the game is there. They just haven't pieced it all together in one tournament and they seem to be due to do that. It's interesting you say that. I hadn't, like, initially I completely wrote him off seeing him at 25 to 1. I do this piece um, for the Tour Junkies guys where uh, we all kind of divvy up some of their emails that we will send out to their subscribers. Uh, and one of the pieces that I do is, like, 10 stats to live by. So I'll put 10 stat categories, like, kind of nuanced, you know, difficult scoring conditions over 7,400 yards, um, best ball strikers over the last 50 rounds. And then I'll list the top 10 guys in these 10 different stats. Um, Tony Finau shows up in, like, every one of the ones that I listed. It's insane. Any, any way that you kind of slice it, um, he was there quite often, which made me pause. I kind of think, you know, I have such a big investment in Rom at the top. I probably don't have room for one of these guys, but I'm very intrigued by both Cameron Smith and Justin Thomas. I don't think anyone's giving Justin Thomas a chance this week. And interestingly, 
I think his all right. So here's my take. I think his weakness in terms of of putting is kind of negated here. When you look at some of the guys who have won, when you look at Garcia, when you look at Willett, when you look at Watson, when you look at Scott, when you look at Schwartzel, when you look at Mickelson, when you look at Matsuyama, these are all guys who we've criticized for their putting before. Um, his other weakness, which I was very critical on him at the players, was. Justin Thomas is a shot shaper like and I think that it's to his detriment in many events honestly John because you look at the modern player and you look at someone like Max Homa or DJ or these guys that play one singular high cut and one shot shape consistently for 18 holes and it's repeatable it puts them in a rhythm. It puts them in a situation where um, they know exactly almost what the ball is going to do, and it becomes very predictable. JT ain't that guy. JT will move it low, high, hook, slice, cut. Like He has all the shots. He has a drive, which he'll lift his foot up to pick up another 15 yards, and then he has sort of like he has so many shots. It's almost Tiger-esque. I think that that kind of works here. The other thing is like I'm looking at guys that just – pass like and it's not so much statistics but for me it's an eye test on absolute wizardry short game um phil had that um danny willett has incredible hands in short game patrick reed has some of the best hands in creative short game justin thomas is kind of that guy cameron smith is that guy where you put him in almost any awkward situation and they are fantastic at getting the ball um, up and down. So those two guys, I think in particular, have the strengths that we've seen a lot of winners possess at the Masters over the last 10 to 12 years that we may not have seen coming into that week. Like we wouldn't have, we didn't, nobody saw Hideki coming really. Nobody saw Sergio. Um, people had Willicks, it was a great number, but even Speeth in the wizardry around the greens. Like these are guys who have a particular skill set and they may not rank in the top five at the season end, but you say their name and you're like, get them around the green and they have all the shots and you trust them to get it up and down. Those two guys really stick out as probably the two players I would say of anybody besides maybe Scotty um, with the best short games around here. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that was my biggest takeaway from last year's Masters with Scotty and, and Cam Smith duking it out down the end. It was like, this is so demoralizing for the rest of the field trying to chase these guys and they're <laughs> incapable of making a bogey because no matter what trouble they find themselves in, they have the shot to give them a, a tap in par. It's like Scotty didn't have to hit a putt over uh, a par putt over like four feet the entire weekend, it seemed like. And that's yeah. a credit to the short game. So definitely um, and not dissimilar from the players and what he he relied on. Um, Justin Thomas, that is, well, I guess these are the last two uh, players champions, but be, being able to be a shot shaper and having that ability to scramble from really like awkward positions where it's all feel and not anything you can necessarily practice in like your local yeah. practice facility. And super aggressive short game players too. Like, like you mentioned, there are situations where there's three quarters of the field who are in a short sighted situation that they're just going to try and almost make bogey. Like give me 15 to 20 feet and let me two putt that and get out of here and move on to the next hole with bogey. There are certain guys that will try to get that up and down. And that risk is often rewarded at Augusta national. When you look at the champions, um, so those are two that were interesting, but, but the guy for me, just because I didn't really have room to fit them on the card with Rom, um, I think the next best bet is Jason day. 
honestly, 30 to one is, is I believe fair. And that's crazy for me to say as someone who hasn't bet in this entire season, we saw last week, one of the first guys to show up on the practice grounds. Um, speaking of healthiness, He's able to swing it freely. He's able to spend his time working on his short game and around the green game, which had really suffered in years past. Kind of a weird conundrum in terms of like course history and like long term form when you look at Jason Day, because you look at the last one to three years and he's not that same player today as he was two years ago. Um, I mentioned the exceptional around the green and putting game. Long iron play vastly improved. He seems to be hitting his irons really well right now. Um, in 2023, so every event he's played in this calendar year, he's averaging plus 9.1 strokes total per event played. Um, pretty unbelievable. So he missed out on last year's Masters for the first time in forever after not qualifying. Missed the cut in 2020 and 2021. So you would think that his form at this place, maybe it's not a place that suits him, but he's played it a bunch before that and had success. Three of his previous nine starts, he gained over 10 strokes on the field at Augusta National. He's played well here once before. He's motivated and excited to be back here once again. He's playing well. Now I'm ready to roll out J-Day at 30 to 1. Fuck it. <laughs> I like it. I think I was on him at the players. I was riding riding the heat. Uh, and he continues to not uh fall outside the top 20 and like he's incapable. Yeah. He's incapable of not uh being in the mix. So um yeah, I mean he suits the course well. He has that short game that you mentioned. Uh switch to a new putter. He has been the spider guy, like he like invented the spider for Taylor yes, he did. <laughs> and then totally. he had the spider X, and now he's got this totally new thing and it's working for him. So um, I, I like the play. I, he's one of those guys too. And this happened to me with Scotty and it happened with me with, with Cam Smith at the open, but I know that there's better numbers that I missed. And I'm like, well, I can't jump on now. Cause I've seen yes. people, I seen the 60 and it wasn't long ago. I know it wasn't long ago. So let's move down. There was a couple of these other guys who there was long numbers on. I mentioned Brooks early in the show is now all the way down to 35 or 37 to one at books. Cameron Young's 30 to one off of a great match play performance. That number was substantially higher before this Max Homa. When I was in Vegas in January, we were all sitting around a table, me, Rick, Andy, Keith Stewart, Tom, we were all like looking at the master's odds, just screwing around. And we were all like, man, Max Homa 66 to one. Now he's 32 to one. Uh, Sungjae 37, Victor's all the way up to 37, Willie Z, my how the mighty have fallen, Augusta course history beast, Will Zalatoris 40 to 1, Sam Burns your match play champion at 41 to 1, Hideki at 46, I'll pause there for you John, any bets in this range? Um, Well I did bet Xander up top but for all the exact same reasons as Finau so we won't get back into it, also won three times okay. since last year, very similar profiles in general. Um, in this yeah. range, so I, I didn't bet anybody in this range, but the guys I'm interested in, um, I think it's so the overreaction in one week for Zal Torres versus Kepka for those odds to have flipped and Kepka is now shorter than Zal. I mean, he couldn't have looked worse, Zal Torres, at the at Austin Country Club at the match play. Um, but and everybody's saying injury is not healthy, blah blah blah. I think the ball striking is fine. I think he's just kind of regret like reverting back to the worst case scenario putting yips that we've seen. Um, and that seems to just like magically go away in majors. So if he becomes a low owned guy in DFS, I could, I could see myself just 
staking my bets on Zalatoris on sort of this like leap mm. of faith that he's just going to show up because it's a major. Um, but I really don't think the injury is as much of a concern as people are saying because the ball striking has been strong. He's been gaining approach and off the tee. Maybe it's not as, as he used to, to do in, in peak form, but now we're in major season and this is when he typically turns it around. Long hitter, that should favor him as the course gets longer here. Top 10s in both of his first two appearances. So I actually think that 40 is a pretty good number on Zalatoris, but you, you probably don't feel super comfortable betting it because it is a leap of faith that he's going to just play well here like he normally does. Um, yeah. And and right. uh, and Victor Hovland's the other guy. I, I tweeted out a, a stat at the beginning of this week. Uh, if you just look at his blind resume in majors only, he's like the most elite short game player, the most consistent <laughs> short game player. It makes absolutely no sense, but you look down the list of every uh, course he plays in majors and all of a sudden he's gaining in both around the green and putting. Um, he actually is a, a, a sneaky good putter. And the thing with Zell, with uh, with Hovland is, yeah, he's probably going to chip it to eight feet when most guys chip it to three feet. But he's making the eight footer. So at the end of the day, like if if you're making if you're going up and down, it doesn't really matter how you do it. Um, obviously, you want the short game to be a strength of your game. But his ball striking is so elite that maybe maybe I doubt he can win outright. But I definitely think he can be in the mix. And I think that that narrative that he his short game sucks. I don't want to touch him at, at the Masters could actually make him a good leverage play in DFS. Okay, I agree with you there in DFS. I'm not quite ready to outright bet him, but you made a great point on his ball striking numbers, particularly in in difficult scoring conditions, on difficult golf courses, on difficult holes. Victor will make birdies. Um, he's number two when I when I kind of sorted with those filters behind only Rory in terms of uh, ball striking numbers on difficult courses. I don't endorse it. First of all, I don't endorse this number on Brooks whatsoever. Like, don't take it anymore. Cameron Young, I don't endorse this whatsoever. He doesn't have in check any of the trends boxes. I just don't think that he's ready to win this event. Home, I have some interest in. Im, I have some interest in. I'm kind of opposite of you, dude. I'm so out on Zalatoris right now. And for me, it's not, it's not that I'm worried about the injury anymore. I'm worried about the mentality. Um, he looked like a absolute, the last couple of times I've seen him, he looks absolutely mentally defeated. Um, he looks like he's just doesn't want to be there. He's not having any fun at all. And honestly, like, all right. So we heard last, like when he was playing well last year and he was utilizing all of the social media fire and the viral videos of the putting stroke as motivation. And he was kind of defending himself to a degree and using that to really fire him up. And that works when you're performing well, when you're not playing well and you log on to Twitter and you see everyone from no laying up to Brant to everyone like, clipping videos of your putting stroke and just ripping you and it's getting millions and millions of views um that's gotta hurt a little bit more when you're not playing well than when you're playing well and i worry about some of the mentality i i think the injury got him out of a out of a good feel for his swing and while i don't think it's affecting him anymore I just don't think he's as confident as a player that he was the last couple of times. And now expectations are much higher. Um, I think that he's just in a little bit of a rut right now. So um, I'm kind of out for the time being. I, I, have, I have no interest in being anywhere near him like sub 50 to one. I think the parallels between him and Brooks are really interesting. Like just yeah. career career wise, like 
what if Zalatoris is just mentally like, I want to get up for the majors and I could give a shit if I leave early at, at the match play and hmm. I'm not going to win my matches. So get me out of here. I don't want to stay any longer than I need to get me to masters week so I can win my majors. Cause that's where I, that's where I make my name. You might be right. We don't hear enough from him. Like it's sure. funny how even that though, psychologically, if they are very similar mentally and extreme competitive spirits that just want to win the best events, it's funny how when it was going well for Brooks and his brash confidence on the stand of media was so well received by everyone when he was the number one player in the world. And we gave him so much credit for this mentality of like win or go home, basically, right? When things were going well and when things weren't going well for him, it also kind of broke him down um, because he was he was he's not there to finish T32. And it, that had such an effect on his on his mentality and his mental health that it started to affect his game as well. So that's an interesting, interesting parallel there between those two players. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know if I I mean, they're so volatile that I'm not betting that matchup 1v1 or anything, but it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing to, to monitor for sure. All right, let's keep it moving um, down into this range. We're starting to get almost out of the range of guys that we probably feel can win the Masters, right? I think we're all, we're both. I think everyone kind of agrees. You've, you've probably got fifteen, maybe if you really want to stretch it, twenty guys who you think can win here. Um, this is kind of where that leash uh, runs out. Corey Connors is forty-eight to one, coming in off a win at the Valero. Fitzy's fifty-five to one, a big number for Matt Fitzpatrick. Actually, Tyrrell Hatton sixty-five to one. Minwoo Lee is 66 to 1, Shane Lowry 66 to 1, Tommy Fleetwood 66, Justin Rose 66, Reed, Neiman, Woods. Um, where do you draw the line? Any of these guys worth a bet for you? Um, I bet Justin Rose and I like Patrick Reed, and that is exactly where I drew the line. <laughs> I like, I bet Justin I, Rose as well. Let me hear your reasons. Um, I mean, look at the number of favorites in this field who have not won this season um spieth and xander and justin thomas and the list goes on and justin rose albeit in a weak field he has sealed the deal he has been in the mix and closed the door and he hasn't been able to do that for four years um and he's always had success at this event and now he has that little chip on his shoulder of or well not really chip on his shoulder. he's got the monkey off his back is the the uh the idiom i was going for um, and now he's playing loose and I think he's comfortably on the European Ryder cup team, but you know, a, a nice finish, uh, at the masters would, would seal the deal. Let give him no doubt, um, you know, live Exodus or not. He deserves to be on the team. So I think he's motivated here. He's, he's been first round leader four times. He's been runner up twice. The approach play has been dominant. He looked great at the players. He puts so well on these greens, which is so important. If you're able to do that a couple couple years in a row, it's basically like you just expect it uh, at, in a place where it gives everybody else so many fits. So the number is long. I got him at 75. 66 yeah. is still fairly long. And there's going to be a narrative of like once you're past like 50 to 1, you can't win. But the market is bringing him down to 55. So I, I don't really think of uh, Justin Rose as this like pure bomb. And I don't really see myself going any further than him with win equity in this event. 
Absolutely. You nailed a lot of the points there. Um, the, the, the course history at Augusta has been fantastic. Um, I have them seventh in strokes gained total over the last six years. Um, fourth in greens and regulation at Augusta over that same time span. So um, the ability to keep the ball in play and on the greens has been huge for him. His putting has been a weapon. Top 10 in putting. Top 10s in birdies are better. I don't really associate Rose necessarily with a guy who's going to go out there and light the place up and make a ton of birdies, but he's been doing so, and it's and it's really because he's been able to score successfully on the par fives. He's ranked 7th right now in par 5 scoring over the last 50 rounds. Um, he's just playing well. He's back to confidence, much of the same reasons. Like, look, I, I bet Jason Day at 30-1. to 1. I don't think Justin Rose has that much difference of a chance to win than Jason Day, to be honest. I don't think there, he certainly shouldn't be double the odds price. I got a 70 to one would fully endorse the 66. I watched a lot of Joaquin Neiman last week because I was interested in him. Um, I, I don't, I think he's struggling. He didn't even actually um, post his team score. So the way that live works is, um, you take your best three out of four scores within your team per day. And he, he got beat by David Puig and Mito and he did, they, they didn't even use his score. Um, he seemed really mentally checked out too. So I don't know that I love Neiman. I do think he should have had good chances. Reed's always interesting. Like you talk about a guy, you wanted to say chip on your shoulder. Like Reed's got the ultimate one here. And then let's just talk about Tiger for a second. I don't think he can win. I don't think you can think he can win. But what's a realistic, like, what would you put a break-even point at in terms of finishing position? You like his chances to make the cut? I think the the cold, nasty weather really throws a, a wrench in this because everything that he did at the Genesis was so encouraging. He was bombing it. He was keeping it in play, which he was not doing when we saw him on TV at, like, the PNC and – uh, and the match and everything, he looked lost. And then all of a sudden at, at the Genesis, he was ready to go. I've heard he's got still a little bit of a limp. Like he might be, he might not be a hundred percent last year. This was his first appearance at the master after a 14 month break. Uh, now this is one of the shortest, like in betweens he's waited in, in like between, uh, like, I guess the least amount of rest he's had. Um, so that concerns me. I definitely wouldn't bet him like top 20 or anything. It's not that hard to make the cut here. It's top 50, right? No, like, I think he'll make the cut. Yeah. Like that would be nice. I think he can do that. It's top 50 and you're really working with like 65, less yeah. than 65 functional humans. So um, I think, I think he can make the cut and, and I don't think the expectation should be much more beyond that. I agree with you. I actually think I would probably put it at like 41st. I do think that he'll make the cut. I think that as the week goes on, he, he's going to feel the brunt of the walk that is Augusta National, which we saw last year. Like he came out great and was like an eighth after day one, um, nearly through his round. And then, you know, as the week wore on, the limp got more and more noticeable. I've, I heard the same thing you did. There were rumblings at the Genesis that he tweaked the back late in the week, that he hasn't been it's sort of threw, thrown off his practice routine. Um, haven't seen much of him. It was nice to see the PGA Tour post those glowing pictures of Tiger in a lather with a big smile on his face that he always gets at Augusta National. But my expectations are pretty low. I, I, I'm interested in Tommy Fleetwood, John. Do I think he's going to break through and win a major? No, but I do think he probably, if you set an expectation level, outperforms that nasty conditions. Um, I think could help a player like Fleetwood. I'm going to get kind of into the the long shot range here, and I think we're both in agreement that these guys aren't going to come in and win the Masters. But this is more so talking about 
um, finding yourself a position, whether it be a top 10, whether it be a leveraged position in fantasy or jock market or something like that. Just guys, if I'm going to just kind of scroll through that you think um, and stop me if you see anyone that is going to have a good week. You mentioned like a co-crack, like maybe a top 20 in store for for any of these guys that you see. Yeah, I like Mitchell, uh, Georgia narrative from Georgia. Went to school there. Bomber, uh, one of the best off tee players on tour. Uh, shot 69 in his last round here. He's only played her once. He's shot in the 60s. It's rare, rare air in this part of the board to find somebody who's re- who's shot in the 60s at, at the Masters at all. So um, I like his price for, uh, definitely in DFS. Maybe a placement. We'll see. Um, Kitty Yama, I, I will probably bet Kitty Yama's top debutante. Um, I like him a much better course fit than like a Tom Kim and Tom Kim is the favorite in that market. So I think he's a good bet there. And then we talked about co crack. Um, I, you've been following live a little bit closer than me, so I don't know. I test if you've seen how he looks, but I know the results haven't been too impressive. Hit and um, miss. Very hit and miss. I'll take hit and miss. I, I yeah. he played two DP world tour events, finished top 20 or top 25 in both. I think that's notable um, in the small sample size that we have in T14 uh, last year. Fits the course really well. Good bent grass putter. Guy can win. I uh, do not think that he's going to win this event, but he's 6,500 on DraftKings. I think he's like 400 to one outright if you, if you want to dabble, but um, that's probably as, as deep as I, I would look on the board. Yeah, so some interesting ones to me. I I kind of wish there's two guys that I wish it. I I was hopeful that the weather I think has kind of impacted and and steered me away from these bets because I actually kind of like both of them. Um, one of them was Tom Hoagie. So T39 last year and what I believe was his first time around the Masters, but some re- like the guy just pops and will show up even in times you even in events you don't think like the PGA championship at Southern Hills last year he had a top 10 finish um century tournament of champions long golf course which a lot of people have kind of likened Kapalua in terms of the undulation in terms of the super wide fairways like as someone who's really accurate in a wedge player Kapalua is not a course you would expect Tom Hoagie to go well on he finished third and like you look at like Cam Smith and Rom and these other guys who play really well at Kapalua tend to play really well here and he just finished third at the players course like record yeah, he gained like 8.9 strokes on approach in his last event out, 11.7 T to green. Um, I'm not going to overlook Tom Hoagie. I won't be placing an outright bet, but I will have some exposure to him. Abe Answer was the other one, um, just because I had talked about how um, much of a belief that, that the people close to him have in his game coming up. He's shown some really good signs. He had a really good final round at Live. Um, I, I wish it wasn't going to play so soft in terms of the fairways because you had mentioned when we were talking before that his best scoring comes on really firm courses. But here's the thing, dude. We've really only seen Live and PGA Tour guys come together in one event where a Live player won that event, and it was Abe. <laughs> Uh, when he he won the Saudi and there were a lot of really good players in that field. And that's not an easy golf course. And it it brought me some hope there. Um, 171 was, I think, an interesting one on live. I kind of like, uh, I'm sorry, on Abe. I kind of like Chris Kirk a little bit. He's been so solid. Um, Danny Willett, you can't overlook his sort of around the green game. Where's Kokrak? There's Kokrak, 340 to one over on FanDuel. It's just a, 
all right, so that's worth a top 20 bet, man, because he's had some like first round leads at live. He's had like the low round of the day on Saturday and just hasn't been able to put it all together. Um, but that's a that's a massive number there. Uh, I was just looking at eight. Answer did finish top 10 at Caves Valley at the BMW, and that was a long course in soft condition. So maybe hmm. that's maybe that's a narrative. Who's Gordon I, I love Sargent, Dave. I'll always root John. For uh, Gordon Sargent is a favorite to win uh, top amateur. Um, okay. Hits it a mile is, I think he's a freshman. Uh, like one of the youngest, I think he's the youngest or the first freshman ever win the NCAA title in the first. Really? This is the first year that Augusta's inviting the NCAA champion. Huh. Um, him Very and Sam Bennett are essentially like the two favorites, but he's like a slight favorite over Bennett. Yeah, so uh, Sargent is 750 to 1. So I, it, I, the reason I'm asking you is I do, uh, like I was on Data Golf and looking up the, they, the, like the optimizer or whatever and putting together the optimal lineup. And I just do one. So I'm like, just spit me out the optimal. And he was in the optimal lineup. <laughs> I mean, he can never he make heard a cut. Him. Sure. Can he finish top 30? Maybe. Sure. Amateurs do that. You know, he's probably not going to finish much higher than that, but he's got a ton of game and he's, he hits it a mile so he can hit it. I, I actually just saw a tweet. Um, he was playing with Justin Thomas and he outdrove him. So uh, hmm. he can play. He's definitely got some pop for an amateur. Very good, dude. Well, listen, um, we've we've gone over an hour here. The Masters, both of us, it felt like it was 10 minutes that I got to talk to you, but um, a super appreciative of your time, man. Tell everyone where they can find the rest of the content that you're going to put out this week for the Masters. Yeah, thanks so much again for having me. Always a blast chopping it up. Next time I'm in Florida, which has been, it's been too long since I've been to Florida. Yeah, it's been like did over you come down to Deerfield this, uh, this winter? uh pompano is where we have our like second uh family home or whatever so when, when i go to florida it's down there in fort lauderdale but i haven't been there in like a year and a half um okay. so i will let you know next time I'm down there we got to play please um but but yes um uh, you can find my stuff at pj town on twitter the lines.com many many articles this week uh we're doing a lines uh a podcast that will uh be up tomorrow um and yeah tournament preview is already out i've got sleeper article that is out and then my my final bets article and final thoughts on the tournament will be up wednesday morning one man band very unique skill set there it's like a, it's like the lead guitarist who can sing also man the guy is a tremendous writer he's great on camera he's awesome live uh and a terrific person thank you so much john for being a part of the show and best of luck this week at the masters i appreciate it man same to you thanks buddy all right, guys, thank you so much for uh, staying with us for the show. As you can tell, um, we battled through it. We persevered through a little bit of illness. I hope my energy level wasn't too down, but uh, that's how excited I am for the Masters this week. So final thoughts before we kind of get out of here. Um, a tradition unlike any other this week. Here's another tradition unlike any other that I wrote down. Good karma. Um, in so many circumstances, serving others or serving a purpose that doesn't maybe directly impact you at the time, um, you will reap the rewards from. Um, good karma is something that I truly believe in. I think it's tested uh, in all of time that if you do good and you are a good person in different walks of life, good things will come to you. And it brings to my mind, you know, we feel often like we're kind of in, in these 
separate worlds of life, right? We have our work life, we have our home life, and now we have this separate world that is the internet and is social media. Um, and I think that I try to be cognizant of being a good person on Twitter, being a good person on the internet to people, um, answering DMs, not being snarky, not trolling people with comments that you may not like. If you see something that you don't like, um, ignore it because that stuff often trickles into other parts of one's life and your worlds of work and home and online and you know your friends and your kids and your wife and they all start to come together and the lines get blended very quickly so if you are not if you're a shitty person online you're probably a shitty person in real life so um, consider anyone that checks out this show to be a friend of mine thank you all it, it means so much to me like this hour that i spend with you all a week talking golf is more than i talk to my friends about golf so um, i have a real deep appreciation and gratitude for those who check out the show um, it's something that is funded produced written streamed promoted all by me um, and i'm doing so at the expense of many other things that could be taking place in my life, I'm doing so out of the expense of my pocket. There's there's no revenue generated from this show. I'm doing it because I genuinely like it. I genuinely get something out of it. It is a passion of mine, and I hope that that can kind of come through on this show. And what makes it all worth it to me is to receive messages of kindness, to receive appreciation, to receive um, notes from different friends that I've made throughout this process. You know, this is going to be the third year that I've hosted um, or co-hosted a live show for the Masters, which is my favorite event of the year. So um, I hope that I, I wouldn't miss it for the world. I have a genuine gratitude for each and every one of you. Um, honestly, like I really mean this for checking out the show and for supporting Preferred Lines over the years. Um, I could have never imagined that I'd be at this point when I started it with Chad during the pandemic three and a half years ago. We had this idea and we weren't working. Uh, but now it takes up so much of my time and I wouldn't have it any other way. So um, to the moon for preferred lines. Best of luck at the Masters this week. I hope you all cash winning tickets. Good karma will circle right back around. You do good. It's coming right back to you. Um, have a great week. Drive right down Magnolia Lane and enjoy the hell out of the broadcast. Thank you all. Like, sub, subscribe on the way out. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Brent. Um, you guys are awesome. Um, thanks again. Bye-bye. Peace.